0: The Buddha made it clear in many of his teachings that the path he, he described as a path of effort, energetic engagement, not a path of passivity or non doing. This then uh, poses a bit of a question or a puzzle. If it's a path of action, path of effort, energetic engagement, then we must be giving a direction. Doesn't that involve desire wanting? <laughs> People have been asking this question ever since the Buddha's time. In this respect, it's helpful to understand there's different kinds of desire, different kinds of directing of the mind in order to realize any particular goal, whether it's skillful or unskillful, mundane, whether it's cooking a meal, robbing a bank, becoming enlightened. And there's four, four different qualities that are needed, called the four bases of success. First of all, we need to be interested. So the word chanda means desire or interest, zeal. Bringing the attention to a particular task. So that's the first requirement. That quality of chanda, though, doesn't have to be involved with anything unwholesome or anything personal can be completely in accordance with reality with Dhamma so the first of these bases of success is Chanda interest wishing desiring and the second is Virya or energy applying effort to that goal. If you wish to awaken to the truth, then there's the interest to do that, and also the effort that's needed, the application of energy. And the third is chitta, which means in this respect thinking about what it is that you need to do. Whether it's robbing a bank or cooking a meal, being enlightened. We need to think it through. What's the method? What's the approach? How does this work? So using our capacity to recognize patterns, our intelligence, our memory, our imagination. A means this kind of reflection, contemplation. Recognizing the patterns at play. And then the fourth is vimangsa, that was mentioned yesterday. Reviewing, looking back at the results of what you've done. So the first three work together interest, energy, reflection. They work together in setting out to perform a task, going for a walk, cooking a meal, practicing meditation, being enlightened, robbing a bank. Then the fourth is, did it work? Did the meal get cooked? Did I get to where I wanted to walk to? Is the mind free of greed, hatred, and delusion? Is it awakened? Did I succeed in robbing? <coughs> did I succeed in robbing the bank, and getting away with it? So these are the four bases of success, the idipada, and they can be applied with wholesome unwholesome or completely neutral goals in mind. So in this way, in a sense, we can use desire to reach the end of desire. We can use the capacity to wish, to direct the mind, to choose, to engage, to reach the end of tanha, the end of craving to reach the end of Dukkha, Dukkhanirodha. So it's mysterious, but we can, in a way, use desire to reach the end of desire. Now when Chanda this kind of desiring or wishing, directing, is applied skillfully, then there's no sense of self involved in it. Not, it's not based upon, I want to, I've got to, I should. But rather it's arising from an attunement to the the time, the place, the situation, the needs of the present. In meditation, this is, uh, in a way, the, the most important skill to develop, the most important uh, distinction to, to make. Because... We can be very sincere, committed, dedicated to meditation practice, putting in many hours, weeks, months, years, with great sincerity, following all the instructions, trying to get rid of our chattering thoughts, get rid of our laziness, get rid of our dullness, get rid of our agitation getting rid of our greed, hatred, and delusion, getting concentrated, getting insight, getting the jhanas. But all that getting and getting rid of can tangle the heart up in more and more stress and alienation, difficulty, frustration, goal-oriented obsessiveness. So our very sincere, noble efforts to practice meditation and end suffering can lead to creating even more suffering than before. This is tragic. Unfortunate, but also avoidable. We don't have to operate that way. We might feel we're following the instructions. But the teacher said I should get rid of the hindrances. I should quiet my chattering thoughts. I should get rid of greed, hatred, and delusion. I should get concentrated. I'm following what I'm told to do. So we might feel that we're following instructions, but unconsciously, unwittingly, be casting the whole process in the framework of self-view. I've got the hindrances of sense-desire, ill-will, dullness, doubt, restlessness. I haven't got concentration, I haven't got insight. I need to get them. Self-view slips in the back door, takes over the whole program very easily. So even though we might be working with great sincerity and commitment, at the same time, we could be compounding the habits of self-view, compounding the obstructions to genuine liberation. So it's helpful not to think of practicing in terms of me working with my problems or me developing my potential. But rather, here's the awake mind seeing the way things are. The Buddha seeing the Dhamma. Here is this awareness, attentive to this quality that's called obstructive, difficult, attentive to this quality, which is called wholesome, beneficial. And choices can arise. To let go of the unwholesome, to steer away from that. To turn towards the wholesome. When we reach a crossroads, we don't... If we want to go south rather than north, we don't have to hate the north don't have to resent it. We just recognize we need to go south, take a right. We don't have to attach to the right-hand turn, take it as a personal achievement. But if you get to the crossroads in Great Gadsden, you want to go to Hamel-Hempstead, go right. If you go left, you'll go to Leighton-Bussard. doesn't have to be personal. doesn't have to be an achievement. You don't have to fear or resent the road to latent buzzard. It's just not the direction that you need to go. That's all. Similarly, when the heart meets aversion, sense desire, restlessness, doubt. We don't have to hate it, fear it, take it personally. I don't own latent buzzard. But if there's no particular wish or need to go there, then I need to go to Hamel-Hempstead, then get to the crossroads, turn right. It's not a personal achievement to go to Hamel. It's not an attainment or personal glorification, an acquisition. It's just, this is where we need to go, take a right. Follow the road, it'll take you there. So, this is learning to apply right effort, samavayamo. This aspect of the Eightfold Path, samavayamo, attuned effort, making effort that is in accord with reality, that's in tune with Dhamma. Now, these four aspects of right effort, samavayamo, are restraining the unwholesome from arising, or setting the intention not to give rise to aversion, sense desire, ill will. But if those unskillful qualities have arisen, to let them go. To recognize, okay, here is aversion. It's unskillful. I don't need to turn that way. Let it go. Here is sense desire. Another fantasy. No need to follow that. Let it go. So as the intention to restrain the unwholesome, prevent it from arising? But if it has arisen, then to recognize it and to let it go. These are the first two aspects of right effort. Then there's the setting of the intention to cultivate the wholesome, to develop concentration. Radical acceptance, kindness, to develop wakeful awareness. This is the third aspect of right effort. And then the fourth is when wholesome qualities have arisen, when they've taken shape, to sustain them, maintain them in being. If there is loving-kindness, sustain it. Keep it going. If there is concentration, clarity, focus, hold it steady, maintain it. In the application of right effort, there's no sense of self. There's a, a, a doing, a directing. There's a recognizing of The unwholesome, the wholesome. There's a choosing. But those choices are not colored by self-view. They're not influenced by I or me or mine. They're guided by mindfulness and wisdom. Attunement of the heart. A recognition of what is skillful, what's beneficial, what's harmful, what's confusing. There's no self in in any way involved in that. This is the way that we can carry out those wishes, intentions, and that they will then lead towards what is liberating, clarifying, fulfilling. If the mind is guided by self-view, though, then those efforts get corrupted, taken over by I and me and mine. I-making and mind-making. We call the desire to become, tanha, or the desire to get rid of, Vibhavatana, Which the Buddha outlined as amongst the causes of suffering, when he defined the second noble truth. Along with sense desire, the other kinds of uh, desire that cause suffering, discontent, dissatisfaction, are these very two, bhavatanna vi bhavatanna, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, which always have the feelings of I and me and mine woven through them, coloring them, flavoring them. So the difference then is in the way that the mind holds this quality of effort. So when the mind is colored by self-view, influenced by self-view, when it's driven by bhavatanna and vipavatanna, then it's, I shouldn't get angry, I should be more awake, I shouldn't have these chattering thoughts. I'm too lazy, I'm too busy. I need to get rid of my greed, I need to get rid of my doubts. I've got to wipe out my jealousy. Self-view takes over the the way the mind relates to the unwholesome. And it takes over the, the way that the mind relates to the wholesome. I've got to get concentrated. I'm determined to be enlightened. I've got to get the jhanas. I've got to get insight. So the effort to recognize the unwholesome and let go of it, the the effort to recognize and develop the wholesome and maintain it, when they're taken over by self-view, they just lead to more dukkha, more distress, alienation, insecurity. Our sincere efforts to practice lead to more and deeper attachment, entanglement, confusion. Therefore, it's extraordinarily helpful to distinguish between effort guided by self-view, bhavatanna vipavatanna, and effort guided by mindfulness and wisdom. makes all the difference in the world, like the live nettle and the dead nettle the stinging nettle and the the non-stinging one. All the difference in the world, even though they can look really like each other. when the the quality of effort is free of self-view, it's recognized that this this mind itself is not a person, it's not personal. Every aspect of the mind, the heart, is an aspect of nature. The heart is Dhamma itself, your heart, your mind. is dhamma itself. The citta is dhamma. It's not a person, not an individual, not a self. What aspect of the mental and physical being that we call I or me, what aspect of it is not part of nature? Can we find one? I can't. Every aspect of our being, physical, mental, spiritual, is an attribute of nature. Dhamma is nature. Therefore, this mind is dhamma itself, in its very essence. When the the mind is free of self-view, then that essential quality, The presence of Dhamma is what is apparent. In awakening, the heart is simply awakening to its own nature. Dhamma, awakening, knowing its own nature. Nothing is being got, and essentially nothing is being got rid of. It's what we're doing is allowing Dhamma to know itself, the reality of what we are, to fully know its own nature. And that knowing brings with it peacefulness, simplicity, freedom.